Okay, well, good morning. Um, it's great to have the chance to speak this morning. We thought as Phil had um, four more services to do in the next week and a half, that I'd take one from him to give him a little bit of a break this morning. Um, so we are carrying on our Advent series, thinking about this time as we're preparing to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus. Now, um, the 12th of December this week was a significant day. It was primarily a significant day because it was my birthday. And uh, I think that's the happier, the happier reason to remember the 12th of December this year. 35 years of life on this earth for me. Lots of lovely people sent me cards and presents. Took me out for lunch, which was very nice. Um, but perhaps for most of you, the 12th of December this week will be remembered for something else. Um, because it marked the climax of a hotly contested, fraught and pretty divisive election campaign for the next government of the United Kingdom. And this election somehow seems to have seeped deeper into our lives than others that I can certainly remember in recent years. And we can see ripples of its aftermath all around us. And at times, it's felt really quite unpleasant. Now, we like to make a point of not being um, political from the front of this church. So whether your choice of color was blue or red or yellow or green or rainbow, that is completely your right to choose. Don't read anything from the color of my jumper. Uh, it's just Christmassy. Uh, we are blessed to live in a country that is governed by democracy and where we get a chance to have a say in who we are governed by. And three days ago, on my birthday, we had our most recent say. And some of you, I don't know how you're feeling today about that election result. Some of you might be feeling relieved. Some might be angry. Some frustrated. Some overjoyed. Or some just a little bit numb uh, at what happened last week. But however we feel about this current UK government and the state of our politics at the moment, what I want us to focus on this morning is that it is temporary. Prime ministers come and they go as the leaders of the opposition, and yet God remains and his promises are certain and they are always good. If we look around us, if we read the news, if we speak to friends and colleagues this week and we feel a sense of fracture in our society or hurt or frustration with the rule that we see in our country, we can look as Christians to the promise and birth of the king we are about to celebrate and know that God has a better plan. Even if we rejoice at this election result, we need to remember that those we have elected are mortal, they are fallible, and they are finite. They cannot and never will be the ones who bear our ultimate hope. And so firstly, just before we start to look at the Bible, just something I, I was, Phil shared a, a blog post that he actually wrote after the Brexit election. Uh, vote three years ago about how as Christians we cope in this kind of very fractious political environment. And I just, it was a really helpful article. If you haven't read it, it's based on the sermon that he preached the Sunday after the vote. Um, I definitely encourage you to have a look because something which, which Phil highlighted that we really need to remember as Christians is that we will have friends and neighbors who voted differently to us. There will be people in this church, I know for sure, who voted differently to one another. 
And so we need to remember that we, we shouldn't stop following Jesus' command to love our neighbours, shame those who voted differently. What we say matters and what we share on social media matters, and it matters all of the time. And I just, I found that really helpful. I'm a lawyer, and so my temptation is to want to argue. And when I see something written that I don't agree with, the temptation there is to break that argument down and tell the person why what they believe is not right. But that is not helpful, and it's not. And it's something that I found helpful to remember this week. But what I particularly want to focus on today is our future hope. We are in the season of Advent, and so we are both looking backwards to the birth of Jesus at that first Christmas, and we are also looking forwards to the day when he will return and usher in the new heaven and the new earth. We are remembering why the coming of Jesus is good news for us, and that's what he is. He's good news, so let's remind ourselves why this morning. And as our attention has been this week on the subject of government, it seemed appropriate to focus today on what the Bible has to say about the government that Jesus brings in and why in particular that is good news. Did you know that Jesus comes to rule as well as to save us? Jesus is a ruler. The Bible has a lot to say about this. And we want to look at a few of those passages this morning. Uh, so Phil uh, loves to have a lunchtime summary. I'm sure he put it on here for me. I don't think he did. Um, but our lunchtime summary is this. Jesus' government is a rule marked with justice, righteousness, and peace. His rule will never end. It is both our present and our future hope. Jesus' government is a rule marked with justice, righteousness, and peace. His rule will never end. It is both our present and our future hope. And we're going to be primarily looking at a passage in Isaiah. It's one we've already read several times uh, this month, actually, in church, and one that I'm sure you'll be very uh, familiar with. And it's from Isaiah 9. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, 
establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I just want to pause there for a moment to note the context of this prophecy. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And what never ceases to amaze me about the Bible is that I can read something like that. I can think, wow, you could have written that for today. I think we can identify with that sense of feeling like we're walking in darkness. Perhaps you feel very uncertain about our current political landscape. What's going to happen? What's it going to be like when we leave the EU? All of these things. It's a time of uncertainty and it feels very dark. We can't see clearly where we are going. And I certainly notice a lot of anxiety around me about this subject at the moment. And so this prophecy speaks speaks to our situation. It speaks to the situation that the the people found themselves in at the time, but it speaks to us as well. It is as relevant today as it was then. So let's take a closer look. This new light that Isaiah speaks of is, of course, Jesus. A child will be born and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness and peace of his government, there will be no end. He will reign with justice and righteousness. That sounds like an impressive campaign speech and someone who I would want to vote for. Um, and that's the thing about Jesus is he exceeds, he exceeds everything else. And, and, to, and he is described in a way that, can match, that nobody else can match, nobody else can come close to. And so we want to know what his government is going to look like. So um, three things. The first thing, it's going to be Big. The Hebrew word used for government in this passage is Mizra. It means more than just the government of the day, like how we would most commonly use the word. Isaiah isn't just talking about Jesus being the next Boris Johnson. The word means more like rule or dominion, the sphere of his power and influence. Isaiah is speaking about Jesus being more than just in charge of local government. He means something much, much bigger. It's, in fact, a rule which is so great that it has a word all of its own to describe it. The word government is actually used lots of times in Scripture, but the specific Hebrew word Mizra is only used in this passage in Isaiah 9 because Jesus' rule is different. It is unique. It stretches across nations and cultures and tongues. It stretches across the whole earth. I'm just going to read a short passage from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. You can turn to it if you like. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed 
all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And you just see something of the language that's used here to describe Jesus's rule. God has put everything under his feet. He is above all rule and all authority, above every name, both now and forevermore, everything that ever was and everything that ever will be. His rule is vast and he is in control. That's a big statement and it's something we find hard, I think, to comprehend because what we see is is the world around us right now. We see a world plagued still by sin and death and famine and war. And it can be difficult to contemplate that God has all things within his control, that he has put all things under the feet of Jesus. But he is in control. Paul is praying here that the Ephesian Christians would have their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which Jesus has called them. We don't see these things completed right now, but what Paul is commending to the church in Ephesus and to us is to know the hope of what God has promised in Jesus. There is hope. He will have the last word. And it's a hope I think that we need at a time like this more than ever when we feel perhaps out of control, where we don't know what's going to happen, that we need to know a hope which is certain, a person in whom we can completely trust. And so normally we're often skeptical of widespread power. I think if I said about anybody else that they were going to have rule over the whole earth, you would immediately think of a dictator or someone powerful but exercising power um, in an oppressive way. So what are going to be the characteristics of this government? Well, this is our second point. It will be marked by righteousness and justice. In the King James Version of the Bible, this verse is translated judgment and justice. And when you look at how these uh, three words are used, righteousness, justice, and judgment, you can see why. They are interchangeable in many places in the Bible. We often see the same Hebrew word translated in these three different ways, justice, righteousness, and judgment. And I find that in itself absolutely fascinating because it demonstrates how inherent righteousness and justice are to God's rule and to his judgment. They are, that word, when it's describing Jesus' rule, judgment for him is bound up in righteousness. It is bound up in justice. It isn't corrupt or, um, or lacking in any way. And just to to look at another brief passage in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 to 4, it says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, who is upright and just. These are huge claims. Jesus is perfect. He is just. He is faithful. He is upright. 
And we can scarcely imagine a ruler like that. But this is what makes Jesus so appealing, but also so difficult to comprehend. He is more. He is just more than anything we see around us. And he is our rock. And a rock is something which is a firm foundation. And in the same way as, as, as Paul is a, a, was appealing to the Ephesian Christians to remember the hope that they have, so too must we remember the hope that we have and the rock on which we stand. If we're stood on the rock of Jesus, then our, our future and our hope is sure. No one can change who he is or what he has done for us or what he has promised will, will be to come in the future. He is a rock. He is stable. And when God gave Moses instructions about the law that the children of Israel should follow in order that they may be holy, he said this in Leviticus 19 verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Again, these three terms, justice, judgment, righteousness, all intermingled together. And, and here, uh, Moses is talking about this subject of not showing partiality. And I, this is another subject I find very interesting because so often our politics today seems to be marked by either being the party for the poor or the party for the rich. And, and here, actually, it's saying there, w- there won't be partiality shown to the poor, but there won't be partiality shown to the rich either. Jesus is able to rule just, justly and righteously without, in its purest form, without needing to show partiality to one or the other. And I find something incredibly appealing in that. I find sometimes we can be so at pains in our society today, particularly the culture in which we live now, not to discriminate against certain people groups, that we end up positively discriminating against others. We really struggle to find the right balance. We, we, we struggle to be truly just. And the great hope that we have is that in Jesus, we can see that perfect balance. He, he rules perfectly with justice and with righteousness. And we're also told in the Bible that justice seeks the good of others, and it takes particular care of the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. Um, I love this passage in Deuteronomy 24 from verse 17. It says this, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. And this is such a a beautiful picture of how a society working perfectly should live. Uh, It's basically a description of the first welfare state, actually. How do we care for those who are the weakest in our society? You know, we just don't overly take for ourselves. We, We just leave for others. 
And this, we see a perfect picture of this actually in the book of Ruth. Um, if anyone's not familiar with the book of Ruth, it's, I think the sh- it's one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. Um, I read it uh, with one of my guys who I visit in the prison last week. It took us about 15 minutes. And in the book of Ruth, we see this very law being put into place. So Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's come from a foreign land. She's followed her mother-in-law back to her homeland um, in Israel. And she comes to um, a field owned by a man called Boaz. And she's come to glean. And so that's exactly what this is talking about. She's come to pick up what's been left by the harvesters. And Boaz... uh, shows favor to Ruth and particularly um, instructs uh, his workers to make sure that she has left some to glean so that she can have enough food. And Boaz is, is, is a picture of Jesus. He is like there are many characters in the Bible who are a, a small foreshadow of what Jesus will be like. And Boaz is one of them. He is showing here the kind of uh, love, the kind of of justice that we can expect to see in the rule of the Lord Jesus. He takes special care for those on the edge of society. Righteous judgment then finally justifies the righteous, but it also condemns the wicked. There shall be judgment between the two and punishment will be imposed and is appropriate. It isn't a popular theme, judgment, but it is right, and I think when we, as we've read the description of the kind of judgment, the kind of rule that Jesus will bring, that it is marked by justice and righteousness, I hope we can trust that when we see everything under the feet of Jesus uh, and, and the, the, the powers of Satan completely destroyed, that we can trust that the judgment that Jesus will execute will be right, that no one will be able to question that it is just. And in fact, again, we see back in the law as God is instructing his people, trying to show them the way to live. He says in Deuteronomy 25, when people have a dispute, they are to take it to court and the judges will decide the case. The innocent will be acquitted and the guilty will be condemned. And it's it's important, it is important that that where there is wickedness, it is marked as so and that there is punishment. And we can be sure when we look to Jesus and the rule that he brings that he will uphold justice, that he will judge and the result will be right. And the final thing about Jesus' government that I want us to think about is that it is eternal. So as we read uh, the end of that passage in Isaiah, that of its increase... Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will always be and it will continue to increase. Our political landscape changes all the time and we find it hard to imagine anything constant and secure. But Jesus has promised us that that will be the mark of his government. Hebrews 13 reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. What we read about his rule in the Bible, written thousands of years ago, we can trust is the same about him today. And and the reason I'm bringing some of these things out is that I think we find ourselves so tossed around on waves of, of different political movements and different promises and then 
different promises that are broken and all of these things. And we desperately long for something that is sure and certain. And what I want us to focus on today is that Jesus is that one. He is our our certain hope. So I just want to finish today by by tying some of these things together. Why does looking at Jesus' government give us hope as we remember his birth and look forward to his return? Well, it gives us hope because when we look around us, when we read the news and we speak to friends and colleagues this week and feel a sense of division, of hurt, of frustration with the rule that we see in our country, we can look to this promise and the birth of the king and know that God has a plan. God has a plan for a just and right rule over all humankind. A rule that will ensure justice for the stranger and the orphan and the widow, and yet also will not judge with partiality, but do justice to all, whether they are rich or poor or black or white or strong or weak. There will be justice for all. It's a rule that will not change over time, a rule which does not change its policies, a rule which is free of corruption and which promises and actually delivers peace. And this is the kind of rule that I long for. As long as we live on this earth, human governments will come and they will go. They will rise and they will fall. Some will do great things and some will do wicked things. We see this written in the history books of the kings of Israel. We see, you know, if you go through the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, you see good king, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king. It goes on and on like that. We've seen it all before. There's nothing new in our political landscape. It's it's following the same pattern that history always has. We see it as we study our history books um, of the world's rulers over the last few centuries. We see many who have done great things and we see many who have done very wicked things. But after they have all gone, one remains, the only one we really want to rule, and that's Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was there at the beginning, and he will be there at the end. And the best part is that we don't even need to wait until Jesus returns to experience his rule in our lives. It is here right now. He is here right now. His rule has already been established. It arrived with the birth of a baby. It was secured through a death on a cross. And it will be completed when Jesus returns. So when we are feeling anxious now, we can look to Jesus for hope. When we suffer now, we can pray to him and ask for his kingdom to break out into our situations. And when we despair now, we can take hope from the promise that he will have the last word. And when we are afraid, we can remember this, Romans 8, a very famous passage. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who, who do we trust in right now? 
If our trust has been in red or blue or yellow, then at some stage we will be disappointed. We might already be feeling disappointed because none of them holds the promise of justice, righteousness and peace. Those hallmarks can only ever belong to Jesus. He is above all else. And our hope can always be in him. We, we need to pray for those in authority over us. We are called to take an active role in the government of our land. And we are to pray for those who lead us at any given time, whether we like them or not. So whether you're a fan of Boris Johnson or not, we should pray for him. And that's a, a, a command given to us in the Bible. But we also need to remember that this is not it. Whether you feel happy or disappointed, angry or, or just flat about the election result, it isn't the last word. In the context of human history, this government will be a tiny mark that no one will probably remember. So don't despair. Look to Jesus. I just want to finish by looking at those, uh, those four words that describe um, who Jesus is, the kind of ruler that he will be. Um, I preached longer on this last year, so look them up if you like from last Christmas. But firstly, he is a wonderful counsellor. Wonderful speaks of the miraculous. His works are those of God. His reign is characterized by the miraculous. We will see incredible things under his rule. And that reign is visible now. You know, Miranda is sat here today, the Lord having healed her of a brain tumor. I mean, that is the miraculous. That is our wonderful counselor in action right now. And that will only increase when Jesus returns. Jesus is a mighty God. There is power in his rule, power to defeat every other power on this earth, power to overcome death itself, and we see that on the cross, power to overcome sin in our lives. We ourselves are living testimony of that. There is power in the name of Jesus, power to make us into a new creation. All is not lost when our faith is in Jesus. Jesus is our everlasting father. His fatherhood is marked by compassion and by love. He cares for the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the sick, the young, and the old. If you are feeling concerned about the NHS, if you are feeling concerned about those who are homeless, if you are feeling concerned about those who don't have enough to eat, Jesus cares about them. He is our everlasting Father, and we can look to him. And we are to be him as well. We are to be him right now. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is the final description word here. He brings peace, firstly, between us and God. We, he restores our relationship with our Heavenly Father by paying the price for our sin. And he brings peace between peoples so that there will be no more strife or war, or fighting. None of last week's candidates could be rightly given any of those names. None of them even comes close. Jesus is in another league, and he is the one we want to focus our hope on this Advent. When you think about the coming of Jesus at that first Christmas, and you look forward to his return, just marvel at the kind of rule he is bringing with him. 
and remember that nothing can take you from him. The most precious thing that we have is our salvation. And nobody can take that from you. No government, no system of rule can remove that from you. It is going to be amazing, like nothing we have ever experienced before. And so he deserves our worship and he deserves our praise this Christmas time. He deserves our whole lives and he can be trusted with them too. He's never going to disappoint us. When we reflect on the kind of rule that Jesus has, we can safely entrust ourselves to him. I want to finish this morning by reading um, some of Psalm 37. Phil read a short extract at the beginning, um, but I just want to read a slightly longer bit of it just to lead us into a time of reflection um, because it reminds us of, of some of these truths that we've been thinking about this morning. It also acknowledges the realities of wickedness and pain and sin in our world, but it remembers that God is in control, that that God is good, and that he will triumph over evil. And it reminds us that whatever is going on around us, we are to delight in him, to trust in him, and to wait patiently for him. So I'm just going to read uh, the first 13 verses of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. I'm just going to pray and and lead us into a, a couple of minutes of quiet just to reflect on some of these things this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you, Lord, that you come with the promise of hope, of peace, of justice and righteousness, Lord. Lord, thank you that, Lord, when we see the turmoil around us, Lord, in politics and in nations across this world, Lord Jesus, Lord, we can know that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, we can know that all things have been placed under your feet. Lord, that in you there is hope. Lord, that nobody can take our salvation in you from us. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you have a plan, a plan that we can't always see, Lord, but a plan which is sure you are a God in whom we can trust.
And we pray, come Holy Spirit, come comforter, comfort hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. Bring peace to our lives. Bring peace to the place where we live, our workplaces, our homes, our nation, Lord, this Christmas time. Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we hope in you, Lord, you would bring unity between men.